1 Samuel chapter 17. We'll be looking at verses 48 through 51 today. Let's let's read these verses. We we know where we are here. We're in a study studying out this occasion of David and the Goliath and and Goliath that giant. So now we're on the battlefield. All the talks over and now the fight goes on. Chapter 17 verse 48. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slung it and smote the Philistine in his forehead and the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. And David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out, took Goliath's sword and drew it out of his sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Years ago there was a sports announcer, Howard Cosell, and he had a very particular way of talking, didn't he? Some of y'all know I can't do a Howard Cosell impersonation. But there was a um, there was one particular fight. Joe Frazier was a boxer, and he um, he got hit and fell down. And you might have heard the 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 the, the, uh, the announcement: "Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier!" Well, the title of the message today is "Down Goes the Giant." Down goes the giant. There's a lot in this this passage, and I'll I'll admit I'm overwhelmed. But the amount of detail that's in this passage, we'll, we'll try to catch the high points here. And please, please hear what the Word of God has to say about the day that that giant went down. Verse 48, thing we have to understand. It says, and it came to pass. Okay. Y'all ever been on a battlefield before, and I mean a spiritual one, a, a spiritual battlefield, and it just seems like today, the obstacles of the day, the battle of the day, the worries of the day, the cares of the day, the giant of the day, the heat of the day, the problems of the day, that it was just too much for us to handle. I want you to hear, it came to pass. It came to pass. Whatever it is. Now, David had a literal giant on a literal battlefield in his life on that day. And he was given the grace of God to stand in that day. It came to pass. And David doesn't walk in our day, and he doesn't have to face the same figurative giants that you face today and that I face today, child of God. But know this, that in process of time... It, whatever it is, shall all come to pass. It always does, it always has, and it always will. What came to pass on that day in 1 Samuel chapter 17? Well, we know broadly, we're talking in generalizations, that God's providence came to pass. God's providence came to pass. If you were to consider some of those battle days, spiritual battle days in your own life, well, that was then, wasn't it? That was then. This, this is now. It came to pass, didn't it? Well, how, how, how did you get through such a thing? How, how could somebody go through such a thing? Well, it came to pass, and by the grace of God, God's providence shall come to pass. What also came to pass? Man's responsibility. And sometimes it's difficult to harmonize God's providence and man's responsibility. It came to pass that David, now every man on the, in the battlefield there for Israel, every man was charged to not let his heart fail him, right? You know what David said in verse 32 of the same chapter? And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, the giant, the him. But yet it was David, according to God's providence, who exercised responsibility in the Lord to go out and face that giant. It came to pass. 
Sometimes we can get so caught up in God's providential care that we neglect our own responsibilities. We get we get lost in the, you know, Lord willing kind of stuff. We get lost in that sometimes. We could all do that. Look over in the book of James, if you would, please. And, and James has something to say about this, this idea. In James chapter 4, read with me verses 13 through 15. 13 through 15. He says, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there in a year and buy and sell and get gain. He's, he's warning them against presumptiveness. Okay? Don't just plan out your life, be living presumptively, thinking that, hey, look, you can just do whatever you want, because he says, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. You know, we're reading about David and his youth and, and his prime as the Lord gave it to him. And, oh, man, what, what a hero in Israel. David died several thousand years ago. Okay? But what's the encouragement James gives? For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will. And that's where a lot of people stop. But look at this. Intent living. Intent living. We shall live and do this or that. David, in his responsibility before God, exercising responsibility, yes, he said, the Lord gave me the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, and Lord willing, I will go out there. But guess what? He had all his and he went out there on the battlefield when nobody else did. Right? So what comes to pass? On that battlefield, it came to pass that we have this whole down goes the giant scenario. In generalization, it comes to pass that God will exercise his providential care over his creation. There's no doubt about that. What also comes to pass is how men live. Men, women, boys, and girls. It should be that the child of God, being created unto good works, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that man would responsibly live before God. That's exactly what David did in 1 Samuel 17, verses 48 through 51. What came to pass? The providential care of God Almighty and the responsibility of man, David, to live before God, giving him glory and honor in all things. It came to pass. So then... As time comes to pass, today will come to pass, tomorrow will come to pass. And when I say, if the Lord will, the rapture could happen today. I don't know. It, I could be preaching one of our funerals or someone could be preaching mine by the end of the week. But if the Lord will, his providence shall carry through, and I know it shall, he shall have his way. And if the Lord will, man, it shall come to pass that man, God's people, should desire to live before God responsibly. But have that thought in your mind. It came to pass. Know that time will come to pass. When I was thinking about going back to school, one of the thoughts that someone told me is, hey, look, the next few years are going to pass by no matter what. But if you sit down and do nothing, you'll be in the same spot. If you get up and, and strive then you could be in a different place. And that, that was true by the grace of God. I graduated a few years later. But apply those same principles today. It'll come to pass. Today, by the providential care of God, it'll come to pass. It might not, today might not involve you. One of us might die, That's, as I said earlier. But God's care over his creation will continue until he exterminates it or, or melts the earth of fire and redeems his people to himself. And, and, and eternity begins. It'll come to pass. What is our mindfulness in the idea that it shall come to pass? You see in verse 48, you also see a grand meeting. Look at this. A grand meeting. It came to pass. When the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. A grand meeting. You see a giant, and he, uh, he rose to meet David. We saw that coming, didn't we? But David arose and he was running. The giant was going to meet David and he had a shield bearer. David ran at an army. Did you catch that in the language? The giant came to meet David. David ran to meet the army and the Philistine. What a meeting. 
You see a grand contradiction there also. It's a grand meeting. What a contradiction. You see one who is disdaining of David. Look back at We read in verses 42 through 44. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. I'll make make your body a, a sacrifice unto Dagon. He was disdaining. He was looking down on David, holding him in contempt. He held himself in pride. He held himself in confidence. He held himself in his religion. He was looking down, disdaining on David. David wasn't confident in himself. He was confident in the Lord, fearing nothing. Verses 36 and 37. And David said, excuse me, verse 36, Thy servant, David speaking to Saul, King Saul, and thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine, this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, when the Lord be with thee. Verses 45 through 47. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name, the reputation, the, the high honor, the glory of the Lord of the hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and will give the carcasses, uh, the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day into the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. You see there that, that in that meeting a contradiction. You see a very large, very powerful giant having confidence in himself. And you see a diminutive young man, a smaller young man, yet a confident young man in the Lord. It must have truly confused. As this meeting has engaged, it must have confused that giant. Was David confused? I don't see that he was. But in a grand meeting, we just as much as our lives are it is one continuation of a, of a battlefield that comes to pass, how do we engage in that meeting? Do we, do we engage in the meeting as that giant? And, and hourly we would initially say, no, no, I'm not like Goliath. Well, do you try to go out in your own abilities? Do you try to go out in your own confidence and pride? Do, do, you, do you look around and see what shield bearer you have that carries your cause? Do you even go out in the form of, a, of religion? And saying, oh yes, the battle's mine. Or David, knowing his infirmities, yet knowing what little ability God has given him will be sufficient for the day, so fearing nothing, goes out and meets the giant and his army. How do we meet the day? How how does the meeting of the day today translate out in our lives? Well, read further in verse 49. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone. What's in the bag? That's a good question to ask. If, if I say, well, I'm, I meet the grand meaning of the day, all, just like David, all confidence in the Lord, what's in the bag? What's in the bag? Have you ever gone out to a battle and had nothing in the bag? The, um, so you all have seen that movie Indiana Jones, right? Or at least heard of it. There's a, in the first movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's a scene where Indiana Jones comes out and they're in this, this market square and this guy comes out with a sword and starts doing all these sword tricks. And the guy kept and, and when they were trying to film it, the guy kept dropping the sword. And after so many times, Harrison Ford, who played the Indiana Jones, he just reaches to his side and pulls out his gun and shoots him because he gets frustrated with it. Well, they caught it on camera and the director said, that's it! <laughs> you know? Well, in the... In the the second movie, which was the prequel, Temple of Doom, there's a similar scenario where Indiana Jones is going to try to do the same thing, and he reaches into his into his holster, and but there was a there was a uh, they did a prop prank. 
that somebody had taken the gun out of his holster. So when you see on film that he reaches down to get his gun and his and, and it look, a total look of surprise and he's trying to find it because the camera's rolling and he doesn't have a gun in his holster. Nothing there. Right? And then he took off running and they, they, they kept it. But the prank was actually used in the movie because it, it brought an authentic look on his face. Why do I say it, tell that story? Being out on the battlefield but having nothing in the bag could have been detrimental to David. Remember, we studied that he went down to that creek bed and he got him out some stones and put them in the bag. So now that he's out there on the battlefield, when he's reaching down, he doesn't have to look and make, oh, did I get my stones? No, he reaches down. Whether he looked down or not, I have no idea. But in my mind, I don't think he broke eye contact off of that giant. He reached down. He grabbed a stone. Did he have one marked G for Goliath in there and then four for his other brothers? No, I believe providentially the Lord put the stone he needed in his hand whenever he went. However that happened. Providential care. But David had something in the back. So how would that apply to our lives? You ever gone out, tried to go out on a battlefield to meet a giant, but you had nothing in the bag. You had no meditations or thoughtfulness toward God at all. But buddy, I'm going to go out there on that, that field. Well, that's more like something that Goliath would have done, having confidence in himself. You try to argue with a person possessed, and you got nothing in the bag, no preparations at all in the bag. Well, that's what happened to those seven sons of Sceva, and they got beaten naked. Nothing in the back. What about no songs of redemption? Right? No, no, no. Uh, we have song services, and it's not just something to pass the time and check a box. We are creatures that, that music and tones and lyrics uh, get imprinted on our minds. What about, what about the, the songs and the meditations of your heart? You ever gone out and not had a song in your heart? No songs? How about no tones of love from the from God's holy word? You try to talk to somebody and you quote, you're going to witness to them, but you have no expectation that God will save them or that he has power to do so today, right now. What if he had gone out there and, and could it be that he used a, a sling and a stone to kill both the lion and the bear just as he was going to this stake? What if he had gone out there with no faith files in the bag? Remember we studied faith files? What if he went out there and just had an empty bag? I've, I've gone out into what we could call spiritual battle before with an empty bag. And if you ever have to, you know, you know what it's like. No children of God. He, he reached into his hand in the bag and took a stone. Why did he take a stone? Because he put a stone there. Providentially, God had him take out five stones, and it was the right five stones out of that little creek bed or, or little body of water, and it was right and providentially. Yes, depending on God's providential care over him, he still had responsibility of having something in the bag. I would encourage you, child of God, in that grand meeting with, with, of our lives to keep your bag full of the necessaries. Again, meditations, thoughtfulness toward the Lord, the Word of God, the songs of God, depending on God in all things. He took a stone out of the bag. Deep down, we're nothing but dirt bags. That's what we are, created dirt bags by God. And one cannot put the Spirit of God in themselves. So don't misunderstand me. But the child of God is responsible to see to it in Christ. Look in Hebrews chapter 4, if you would, please. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, and we'll, we'll, we'll make a connection here. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That grace, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the grace of God in time of need is sufficient. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength, for, uh, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. The grace of God being sufficient, the child of God is to seek it. As we read in Hebrews chapter 4, to seek the Lord for grace and help in time of need. Seeing our need, we, the children of God, being, again, nothing more than dirt bags, should, be, should desire that we be filled with His graces. And if you desire more grace, you're going to find yourself in times of more need, right? David was in a time of great need, so he had the things in his bag that that suited the need of the day. God's grace suits the need of the day, and we should seek it. If you're out on the battlefield and you have a great need, you have a great meeting and have a great adversary and in the Lord for his glory or desiring to live for him, desire those things. Desire that the need be put in the bag, but seek those things out also. What would be needed? Again, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't sleep with my my Bible under my pillow, just expecting the Lord to drain it in through my ear. If I desire to be taught of God, well, I should desire to be taught of God. If I desire that the Word of God would be imprinted upon my heart, well, it would be really good for me to hear it and, and, and to read it and to meditate on it, right? To receive it. If I desire that the Lord grant me gifts for the battle, but I never go out to the battle, how well do you think the Lord will grant me with those gifts? You see, you see man's responsibility and all. You want more exercise of grace? Find yourself in need. On the battlefield. Look here now in verse 49, continuing on that thought. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it. Children of God, sling it. Sling it. No doubt David was more proficient with a sling than he would have been with a bow and arrow. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, that was his weapon of choice. And it's not like he was, I mean, he was given the king's armor and he, this is what he went out there with. No doubt, countless hours were spent with that weapon that was fit for him. Out there, you know, tending those sheep, how often do you think David was out there just, you know, today people hit, you know, targets and that pop cans and that kind of stuff. Well, Whatever David would have used for his targets, how often do you think David spent with that sling out there, just slinging it, practicing it? No doubt, also, David's abilities were God-given. When I was younger, I wanted to play basketball. Okay, I wasn't big enough, I wasn't fast enough, I couldn't shoot good enough, I couldn't dribble good enough, but I really wanted to play basketball. But I didn't have the God-given ability to play basketball. David had the God-given ability to sling a stone. And he also worked at it a whole lot. Child of God, sling it. God has, maybe he hasn't given you the ability to sling a stone. But he has given his children abilities. That hasn't. What if David had the ability to sling a stone and he had all preparation, had the stones in the bag and just went out there and said, you know what, this is what's going to happen. He just stood there flat-footed. didn't do anything. Well, children of God, we, I find myself doing that often. Having knowledge and understanding and having having things such as the Lord has given me but standing flat-footed and not exercising not slinging it that that's those stones and that sling were useless unless he slang it your abilities are not my abilities and my abilities are not your abilities God has given his people the abilities that they need in the field of battle of their lives Children of God, just as David spent time honing and refining and seeing to and practicing those skills, did he know that one day he was going to slay a giant with them? No. Just as much as I don't know what verses I've committed to memory, 
that the Lord might use in our interaction with somebody I've never thus yet met may use in the day that he saves a soul alive. I have no idea. But do you see how man's responsibility meets God's providence? It was it was David's responsibility to practice those things. It was his responsibility before God for the glory of the Lord and in the house of Israel to sling it. It, is sin, it would have been sinful for David to take that thing out there and sling it. You know, there was a whole bunch of people out there on the hillside that they might have had shields, they might have had spears, they might have had nunchucks. I don't know what they had, but they were over there sitting on the sideline waiting to see what David was about to do. A whole host of sinners pretending like they were warriors, not using their God-given abilities to fight the giant. But here's David. He slung it. He's just a boy. He's ruddy. Who do you think you are? I know your heart, what Eliab said. David went out there and slung it. It is sinful not to practice God-given abilities. It is sinful not to use God-given abilities. Child of God, God has given, I believe, He's given this assembly power or authority to broadcast the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is sinful for us not to sling it. It, that, it is sinful for me not to sling it. Let's sling it. Sling it. Turn it loose. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not that good at it. I don't know what to say. Turn it loose. Sling it. David, again, he practiced that thing, but he also called upon God. He, whenever he said, the, Lord, the same God that gave me the lion and the bear will give me this Philistine, he had confidence in God. He went out there, he slung. Down goes the giant, verse 49. Look at verse 49. So he smote the Philistine in his forehead, and the stone sunk into his forehead and fell upon his face to the earth. That's a pretty stiff shot. Okay, so PSI, pounds per square inch. For the average forehead, it takes between 800 to 1600 PSI to crack a forehead. Did you all know that, the frontal bone? That's a lot, in case you didn't know. One of the hardest bones of the body. That's twice the amount of pressure it takes to break somebody's jaw. It's five times the amount of pressure it takes to break a cheekbone. Who's ever had their jaw broken or their cheekbone broken? Has anybody ever had their skull cracked? And I don't mean a child. I mean an adult-formed frontal bone. I mean, there's people that get hit in the face. I was playing softball one time, and as we're walking away from the softball field, I hear the, the crowd scream, and we turn around. A guy had, there was a line drive that came off a bat, and from the bat to first base, a guy got hit right in the forehead with a, with a softball, and then it went another 50 yards, and it didn't break the guy's frontal bone. That's a shot. David, so this young boy slung that stone. That is a, that is a formidable weapon. It's also a precise stone. Precise. So let's take out for just the idea that, that, that Goliath was wearing a helmet, because he was. If he would have taken his helmet off just to, just to jaw at David, the average size of a forehead is three inches. Okay? Three inches. But let's double that, because he's a giant. And then if you quadruple it for width. That's about this size, and that looks pretty large until you see Brother Gary and I try to shoot it from 100 yards away with, with scopes. <laughs> if, I, if I was on a dunking booth and I had this on my chest, any of y'all think you could stand at that back door and hit it on the first try? Precise. Now imagine I'm wearing a helmet and covering all this up and try to hit it. Yes, David practiced that shot, but it was also a providential shot. Providential. Right place, right time, right windage. There was a guy, Randy Johnson, used to throw one of the greatest 
not the preacher, he was a baseball player. He used to throw one of the fastest pitches. And there's a there's a video, he's throwing a pitch, and, and after he released it, from the time the ball released, and he threw close to 100 miles an hour, from the time he released it, before it made it to the catcher, a bird flew by and it exploded the bird. No birds. No practice, no warm-up shot. Y'all ever played any of those carnival games where you try to hit one and they just keep taking your money and eventually one goes in and you end up buying a $30 little bear or something? No practice shots. That was a providential wound. Yes, David was prepared, but God providentially prepared him as well. Here and now. Think about... Think about young Esther in the house of Assyria. She wasn't David. David wasn't her. But in the here and now, God gave her the abilities she needed with precision, accuracy, that were needed for that day. And likewise, the same God, the same God that that provided in that day, I believe, provides for his people in the here and the now. I believe he really does, in spite of ourselves. Right place, right time, right wind, right environment. All the key players. You see also, David, down goes the giant. You see, down David, also, there were some weapons that were found along the way. A lot of these video games nowadays, you start out with very basic weapons, and as you go, the weapons upgrade, and you find new ones along the way, new information, all that kind of stuff. There were weapons along the way. Verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine. There's controversy, you know, if David really was the one that killed the giant, but the wording is, is weird. And, 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 and But if you look at when the other giants fell in 2 Samuel, that, 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 that there's clarification there that there were four other giants. David killed Goliath. So don't, don't get confused by what you might read if you study this personally. So in verse 50, again, David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Now David had what he needed to beat the giant, didn't he? He reached in the bag, he got a stone, he slung it, it sunk in the forehead, he took care of the giant. He had what he needed to beat the giant, but he didn't have everything he would ever need of all time with him when he slung that stone, did he? No. No. Remember, the sword wasn't right for the initial part of this conflict. Go back to verses 39 and 40. And when David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he wouldn't, had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, including the sword and the armor. I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. So David had what he needed at the time he needed it to slay the giant. Okay? It wasn't right for him to have a sword when he slung the stone. He didn't need it. It would weigh him down. He hadn't proven it. It wasn't right. What he needed to behead the giant would come in due season. Lord Jesus Christ says, take no thought for the morrow. Tomorrow will take care of her of itself. It's got its own problems. Live for me today. What he needed to behead that giant would come in its due season. Child of God, you have what you need today. Now, yes, we are responsible. Again, God's providence, man's responsibility. You, you are responsible to refine, to build, to work on, to study to practice slinging that stone in private, that way when the, when the battle comes, you can really sling it. You have that responsibility, but you have. By the, by the power of God, the Spirit of God, and the new birth, you have what you need. We should desire those, those evidences of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, as we, as we read in Galatians chapter 5. But also in the details of the day. If you find yourself in a, in, a, in a time where you don't feel like you have what you need, well, 
make sure that you don't. And sometimes I think, I don't have what I need. I don't have what it takes. I don't have what I need. I don't have what it takes. Well, really, what do I think I need? If it's, I need to learn God's Word better, well, yes, I should take responsibility and learn God's Word better. If I lack confidence, that's my problem. It's not God's. By grace, you will have what you need in the time that you need it. Look at what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke chapter 12. Turn over there, please. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 11. And when they bring you into the synagogues. Wait, what? Why would they do that? Because they're out there broadcasting the gospel, telling people to repent, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're out there slinging it, and they bring you into the synagogues, and into the magistrates, law and religion, and powers or authorities, take no thought how or what thing you shall answer or what you shall say. Now apply what you just read to what we've been studying today in 1 Samuel chapter 17. They're before the synagogues and the magistrates. They're in the synagogues and the magistrates and the powers because they slang it. Spiritually, they hadn't. They weren't supposed to carry that sword around with them. That that next that next thing, right? They were supposed to be busy with the task at hand. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. When the next thing comes, I'll provide for you there too. That's what he's saying. David didn't have the sword, he had the stone. But when he used the stone, the sword was there. Child of God, sling it, and the Lord will provide every step of the way for what you need, for what you need. He will provide every step of the way. Depend on him, trust in him. Don't think what you're going to say. Holy Spirit will give it to you. Don't think, yes, continue Refine, build, practice, learn, submit yourselves to God. You see, depend on the Lord that he will make ready those things that we need in the day we need it. And verse 51, beheaded. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out from the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. Do not behead people. I don't feel like, do I need to say that really? Do not behead people. You know, don't desire to take people's heads off. Really don't. You know, I'm not going to behead anybody, but sometimes, you know, we can say, oh, you know, I'm really going to get this person. This is the verse I'm going to use to get that person. Well, don't figuratively take their heads off either. But this was done to openly show the evidences of verse 40, verses 46 and 47. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of, of the host of the Philistines this day under the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That's what it comes down to, is the glory of God. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth, the Lord, again, central figure, saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. This was done to show openly. Now, so, the French really lousy people at times in history. They were doing studies during during um, a, a period that they would, when they would behead people, they were calculating how long someone's eyes would still, you know, follow sound. So they were still, with their head falling off, the head was still alive for a few seconds with blood still being there. And that's, that's a sick thing that they were doing. So a head can live for a moment or two without blood. But this beheading was a demonstration that Goliath had fallen and that God Almighty had prevailed. And not by David's power, but through God's power. That's what this was. It was a demonstration of the glory of God demonstrated to the host of the armies there of the Philistines, but also as a form of national revival to the army of Israel. There's coming a day that the Lord's enemies will be destroyed openly and decisively. You can read in Nahum chapter 1 about the divine warrior that will not at all acquit the wicked. He shall utterly destroy them. There's also coming a day that the great shout that the people of God will celebrate Jesus Christ in his open victory at Calvary. 
There was no denying. There was no denying what happened to Goliath that day. You know, you can watch some of these these fights and and you think, oh man, that, that, that person has no chance and this person has no chance. And the fights today, they put them in weight classes, don't they? That, that way the, that it seems like it should be a fairer fight. Well, this wasn't a fair fight at all. Who could contend against God Almighty? That's not a fair fight. He wins every time. Beheaded, openly, openly. This was decided in front of all the people. So verse 51, look at this. Let's read verse 51. Then David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew out the, drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Got a question for you. Where, where's the shield guy? Where's the shield guy? Years ago, I was walking down the road with a bunch of buddies of mine. As a car went by, the car came back around and they were they were hollering and stuff. And of a group, I was I was singled out by this group of people, and I would say that I was jumped because that's exactly what happened. And the guys that were really loud and mouthing off and were my buddies, guess what? When these other people came out. And I was singled out. What happened to them? What happened to my shield guys? Well, they hopped up in the back of a pickup truck and took off. They saw that I was on the losing end of the battle and they they scattered. This shield guy with his champion being dead, it would have been useless for him to stick around. It's impossible to defend a dead thing. Why would there be a shield guy around a dead guy? What sense does that make? He's dead. What's what's the shield going to do at this point? Now, the shield might have been there, but the shield guy, no doubt, vomished, took off. It would have been useless for a shield guy to try to defend a dead body, but it's also useless for a shield guy to defend a dead society. Now that Goliath the champion is dead, that shield guy wasn't going to hang around and try to defend the armies of the Philistines nor the the nation of Philistinian. Shield guys. There's a dead religion. Arminianism that has a whole bunch of shield guys and they don't realize that they're they're defending a dead religion. Cain's religion of works, the Babylonian religion of trying to ascend up and up to the heavens. Satan's religion, I will ascend and be like the most high. A dead religion. But guess what? Just as much as you don't find the shield guy here anymore, if you were to look over in Revelation chapter 20, I'm going to tell you exactly what happened to the, to the shield guy. Turn over to, to Revelation chapter 20. I'm going to tell you exactly what happened to the shield guy. Because it's, it's comparative to what we read here. Revelation chapter 20, verses 10 and 11. And they went up. Excuse me, and the devil that deceived them, the champion, the devil that deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. An open victory and an open defeat of the enemy. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away all the shield guys all the defenders of satan and that religion that he so broadcasted in the garden all those years ago you shall be like god and there was no place found for them meaning nowhere to hide they ran nowhere to hide look at those shield guys run In verse 51, you see here the Philistines, they fled. Their champion was dead and they fled. We're only going to touch on this. They fled. Why? Well, there's a whole army of people. Earlier we read that 
the giant said, don't you know, what are you all doing here? Don't you know I'm a Philistine and you're just the children of, of Saul? Well, as a people, they had con- confidence in themselves. Guess what? All people are cowards before God. Adam and Eve, the only two people alive, they fell. They became cowards before God. In Genesis chapter 3, they, they sewed up fig leaves and hid themselves at the presence of God. And we just read how people are going to act in Revelation 20. But am I willing to face? Am I willing to face them? Again, David went out to meet this, the giant, verse 48, but also ran toward the army, didn't he? Am I willing to stand before the armies? Luke chapter 12, when they take you to their synagogues and before the magistrates, before the religious and before law, am I willing to stand before the army so that by the power of God they would flee? Am I willing to stand before the army that they flee to Christ? Look at Hebrews chapter 6 for a second. You know, yeah, I mean, we, we can be so of such a mind that, yeah, we desire that the, and the Lord will judge. He will justly judge. But when Paul turned to meet those people on that staircase, did he do it just to, ca- to rail on them and to cast fire unto them? No, he desired that they flee to Christ. In Hebrews chapter 6, read in verse 18, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. What is that hope, that expectation? Jesus Christ himself. Look, look at that hope or expectation. Which hope or expectation we have as an anchor of the soul? both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Who is that? Whither the forerunner is for us entered. Even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Do I desire that the armies flee? Well, the armies will flee before God, and there's no doubt about that. Those that are still yet in their sin, there'll be no place found for them. But do I desire that being a faithful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that in standing before dead, the dead, that by the power of God they would flee to Christ? Do I desire that? Well, the answer to that is if I stand in front of them or not. If I say I desire to see souls saved, but I don't tell a single person of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how, how much do I want to see souls saved? David, he said, look, we're going to put you on the run. He desired that for the glory of the Lord, that the Lord would win that battle. Children of God, desire. Yes, they might, they might run hard on you and stone you like they did Stephen. Well, that's God's business. What happens providentially? They're responsible, but that's God's business what happens. We are responsible to go out there. You see, David was also a running man. There used to be a dance called the running man. I'm not going to do it. The running man. Verse 48, And it came to pass, when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Verse 51, Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine after he had slain him. going to go take his head. He ran. David certainly was a running man. He ran, if you look back in verses 17 and 18, verses 17 and 18, And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of the thousand. And look how their brethren fare, and take their pledge. Verse 22. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, and ran into the army, and came and saluted his brethren. David was a running man, and he was a running man running in obedience, wasn't he? He was a running man running in obedience. And verse 48. He was a running man. He ran in the confidence of the Lord. And it came to pass... When the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army 
to meet the Philistine. He was a man that ran in the confidence of the Lord, yes, in the face of his enemies, and with the whisper of his, quote, friends telling him he couldn't do it, and openly he was a running man. He also ran to see the thing through. Verse 51, Then David ran, therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. He ran to see the thing through. If I, if I say I run in obedience and I run in confidence in the Lord, but I don't run to see the thing through, then everything else is just empty and it's a show and there's nothing to it. Some, they did a lot of talking, but they didn't do any walk and didn't do any walking. You know, what people say is who they pretend to be. What they do is who they really are. Well, David wasn't walking. He was running. David was running in obedience. He was running in the confidence of the Lord. He was running to see the same the thing through. And children of God, I would encourage you to run and wide open run. Some run too. Some in 9/11, there were people that were running into that building. Some were running out. Some were running in. Some people run to the conflict. Some people run in. Some people run in obedience and confidence. They run to see the thing through, while others run away. During the time of the plague, there were people that were leaving out of London. It's recorded they were leaving out of London. They were running away, and there were farmers with their Bibles under their hands going in to be near the dead and dying to preach those things pertaining to Christ. David was a running man. I would encourage us all to be running men and women, boys and girls. Sitting is a form of silence. The children of Israel were sitting or standing idle. The men of Israel, they were afraid. Verses 10 and 11, after they heard that giant blathering all that stuff, chapter uh, verses 10 and 11, it says, And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They weren't running. They were still. They stayed there 40 days. David ran in. So now, down goes the giant. Let's put all this stuff together. Children of God, our, our lives are going to come to pass. They really will. Our lives are one big grand meeting. Yeah, there are adversaries that come and they say, "Oh, you're nothing. You're 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 a bunch of nobodies. You're you, you specifically, you know, you got nothing going on." We're to go out into the world. Go ye therefore. We're to go out against adversaries. You see, there's not a lot of people have a true adversary. That's the devil as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Goliath wasn't the adversary to the shield bearer, was he? Who was he an adversary to? The people of God, specifically the one he was going to fight. Satan is not the adversary of those that are on his side, his shield bearers, but he is an adversary, a roaring lion to those that stand up against him. Our lives are one big grand meeting, children of God. And as we go into this meeting, and as we have our confidence in the Lord against those that would oppose God himself, desiring that souls be saved, what's in the bag? What do you carry with you? Your confidence in you? What's in the bag? And having something in the bag, by the grace of God, if you have something in the bag, by all means, by the grace of God, sling it. The giant will fall. We, we read in Revelation chapter 20 that Satan's going down, that all those that oppose God Almighty and the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're going down. Down goes the giant. Yes, providentially, all these things are taken care of. Please exercise your responsibility in the day. You will have weapons along the way God has given as gifts of provision. Do you know today as much today as you used to? You probably know a little bit more. Well, the gifts and things that God has providentially and graciously given you in the bag, you need them today. The things that you didn't know a year ago, a day ago, a week ago, well, you didn't need those things then, did you? 
God is very gracious. Again, we are to desire to refine those things and to, to steady those things, to make those things sure, to look to ourselves as we've been studying in John, 2 John. While we're not to behead people, we sure ought to desire to be an open show of God's promises and provision on the field of battle, in this life. Don't worry about the shield guy. You know what? I used to be a shield guy. And if you're honest about it, so did you. So on the, in the account, it would make sense that the shield bearer, he took off running with the rest of the host of the Philistines. That just makes sense. There's, if he would have converted and said, you know what, I desire to be like you guys. I, w- I want to follow, follow under Mosaic law and follow that. It would have been recorded here. and It's not recorded. But we ought to desire that an open show of God's providence, his promises, his provision be manifested in our lives. Not just by what we say, but how we behave. Don't worry about the shield guy. God converts the shield guy at times. And again, I was one of those. In time, the enemies of God will flee. They will flee unto Christ for refuge, or they will flee but have no place found for them unto the great white throne. That's God's business. David's business was to be a running man, running in obedience, running in confidence in the Lord, and running to see the thing through. The Lord Jesus Christ promised his assembly, Lo, I'll be with you, but he didn't. that's not just I'm going to sit with you and pat you on the head. I'm going to be with you while you're doing the things that I told you to do. While you're running, I'll be with you. So, you know, this event really happened, and we've got to be careful not to make, you know, not, not, to, not to study this to the point where we don't see the reality of what happened. And this, is, this really happened. This isn't a story. This is, this is history. It's also a foreshadowing. Christ, just as much as David was despised and rejected by everyone, Christ was despised and rejected. Yet he was victorious for his people in the gospel. Christ was despised and rejected of men. Yet he will be ultimately victorious over his enemies at the last day. David was despised by his brothers, literal three brothers. His oldest was the loudest. He was despised in the camp by the warriors. He was even thought little of by the king, wasn't he? He was despised by the enemy. He was despised and rejected by all, but was the only one who had the, quote, it factor on that day. And that it factor was God Almighty Himself. Jesus Christ, despised and rejected of men, victorious, victorious. In Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, and verses 8 through 10. And being found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself, despised, rejected, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Every. All. Every knee. Of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess. David said, hey, look, the whole world is going to know that there is God in Israel. And all this camp will be revived, knowing that God doesn't save with the sword and shield, but the battle is the Lord's. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Every single one. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, every single person knew. Everybody knew. doesn't mean they were all saved. But everybody knew the God of Israel prevailed. How will you know it? Will you know it at conversion when God grants you repentance and faith in Jesus Christ? Or will you know it when you lift up your eyes in torments? Every, everyone will know. Every knee shall bow. I encourage you. Just as plainly as it's written on this page that God prevailed on that day of battle, I want you to know that Jesus Christ prevailed at Calvary. 
in his death, he bore in his body, he bore the sins of his people. By the power of God, repent. Repent of yourself, your ability, whatever you think you have, repent. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and he alone. He saves. The battle is the Lord. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.